Let me encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 18. The title of this morning's message is Looking for Another Jesus. Looking for Another Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. This week, I uh, found myself, we're, we're between a series of studies. We hope to start a new one next week, but we're between series of studies. And so this Sunday and last Sunday are kind of a, a, a one-time message, a focus. And so I've been waiting on the Lord, and, and um, late Friday night and Saturday morning, yesterday morning, he, he really began to speak to my heart. And I found myself, as I was being drawn to this passage, um, alternately reading and the Lord would speak to my heart, and it was like all the wind would be sucked out of my lungs, and I found myself, uh, my eyes just filled with tears. I was so thankful, because I believe the Lord has something that he wants to say. Who needs a word from the Lord today? Amen. I believe he has something special that he wants to say. It may not be for everybody here. I suspect it's going to be for a lot more people here than we would have imagined. Um, the passage of Scripture begins in verse 18, uh, Luke chapter 7. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have a gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we are weak, but you are strong. And Lord, this moment in John's life, I believe it's a moment that, that there are many here who are experiencing the very same moment in their life. And Lord, we need you to speak to us. Those dear ones who are hurting today, they need to hear more than my voice. They need to hear your voice. And so, Father, I want to be led by your Spirit. And we ask that your Spirit would fill this place and, and dominate our attention for the next few minutes. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus at this moment, was in prison, put there by King Herod. The prison he was confined to was five miles east of the Dead Sea, according to the Jewish historian Josephus. It was a prison called Machiris. And John was still obviously able to manage contact with his disciples, but for all intensive purposes, he had been silenced 
He'd been preaching, but now he was silenced, and he had been sidelined. For the previous year, before he went into prison, he had a public ministry. And during that public ministry, he could not have asked for a grander response. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to hear John the Baptist speak. And, and if anyone could have been guilty of abusing his audience, it was John the Baptist. He was just telling the truth, but it was a hard truth. And, and everyone came to hear him, tax collectors and soldiers and common people and, and religious people, the, the Pharisees, biblically minded, the Sadducees who were, who were well-educated in all kinds of different disciplines. But now all of that had changed and the crowds were gone. The religious leaders who had followed him like paparazzi just trying to, to catch him in some kind of mistake, they were gone. Jesus, and he talks about this after this, uh, these verses, Jesus recognized John as the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of himself. In verse 27, he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And in verse 28, he adds, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, those are pretty strong words. Now, John the Baptist saw himself and his mission in a very similar way. In, in John chapter 1, people came to him and they said, Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And he said, No, I'm not. And when they pressed him, this is what he said. He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. He says, I am... The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. Now, in our story, the passage that I read, just before that, Jesus had raised a boy from the dead. You remember we talked about this in the spring, the widow in the little community called Nain. And they were literally in the middle of a funeral. And nobody could mess up a good funeral like Jesus. That boy was laying in what he was going to be buried in. It was a basket. Jesus goes up to that. This widow, this is all she's got, the only family she's got, and he raises him from the dead. Among the people who were standing around seeing this were followers of John the Baptist. They saw that, and they immediately went back to talk to John in the prison. John listened to them. He listened to their stories, the miracles, the teaching, of Jesus. And then he called two of his disciples aside. And he, he said, come here, I want you to do something for me. And he said to both of those disciples, he said, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask him this question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? In Matthew, when he records his account, it says those disciples went up to Jesus and they asked him that question in front of the crowds. Are you the coming one? John the Baptist sent us. Are you the coming one, Jesus? Or do we look for another? I think disciples everywhere were shocked at that moment. The crowd had to be shocked. This is John the Baptist sending someone, asking this question. Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another. Now, doesn't that seem a little bit strange? 
I mean, when I read that, I thought, you know, this is kind of strange. I know some scholars, I read some commentators who try to explain this away and say, well, what John the Baptist was doing was trying to move his disciples from being followers of John the Baptist to being followers of Jesus. And so he made up this question so that that Jesus could answer this question they would begin to follow Jesus. The only problem with that is Matthew makes it very clear, and Luke does here, John's the one asking the question. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? This is coming from the greatest prophet who has ever lived, according to Jesus Christ. He had spent his entire life preparing to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Before the single year of public ministry, he had spent his entire life in the wilderness. His parents, you'll remember, were older, uh, had, had never had children, and, and Zachariah and Elizabeth suddenly had a, a baby boy. I doubt that he knew them much beyond his adolescent years. They probably passed away. The Bible says he lived in the wilderness. He was a survivalist. He lived off the land, whatever he could find. He lived in a cave. He wore animal skins. He was, by all accounts, a wild man, even for that day and time. He was used to being out in the open. And what was he doing out there? He was alone with God. He had spent not minutes not hours, but he had spent years alone with God. He knew who Jesus was. When he first saw Jesus walking towards him during his public ministry, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who he was. He baptized Jesus. And when he did, he, he heard the voice that came from heaven that said that this is my beloved son, the son whom I love. And he heard that identity. He knew who Jesus was. He had even said to his disciples, referring of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And now he was getting reports of miracles being done by Jesus. I would think all of that would have been confirmation to him of who Jesus was. So why did he question whether Jesus was the coming one, the Messiah? It's because for John the Baptist, something was off in this ministry of Jesus. John, who had been led by God, had preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The wrath is coming. He had preached that. You're in trouble. Judgment is imminent. You need to get right with God. And so he had this question on his heart. When he was preaching, if you, you don't need to turn there, but in Luke chapter 3, we, we read some of the preaching of John the Baptist. It helps you understand where this question came from. He says in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? I usually just say, who is Jesus to you? And people say, Jesus is Lord. I, I, I've never called anybody a viper who was coming to be baptized. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And then in verse 9 he says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
In verse 17, he says, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The core of John's problem is this. Jesus wasn't bringing that. Where's the judgment? Jesus was changing the water into wine at weddings. He was healing the sick and raising the dead. He was calming storms. He was preaching the truth. He was doing good. But Caesar was still in charge. The government was still corrupt. The hypocritical, powerful religious leaders were still in control and running things. Herod was still in charge. Herod had thrown him into prison. John was suffering at that moment when he sends the question to Jesus. He is suffering for preaching a message against sin and that wrath was coming because of sin. I believe John wanted to see God's word fulfilled. He was anxious to see God's word fulfilled. He had spent his life telling others what was going to happen when the kingdom of God came. He said the axe, how soon is it coming? He said the axe is right at the root of the tree. He said the chaff is going to get separated and it's about to happen and there's going to be fire. It's going to be unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is hearing about Jesus going to weddings and he's wondering, where's the fire? Where's the fire? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? So listen again to John's question in verse 20. Are you the coming one? And look at that last phrase. Or do we look for another, another Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't doing what he thought Jesus was supposed to be doing. John was struggling with a measure of doubt. Now, Jesus doesn't penalize him for it, doesn't say anything critical of him. He, he actually says, this guy's the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. He never says anything critical about it. But John's struggling with doubt. So I want you to listen carefully. If you're a Christian today who is hurting or who is disappointed, you have taken up the promises of God and you have prayed the promises of God. And he has not yet answered you in your mind. Because clearly he's working off of a different timetable than you are. If that's where you are this morning, you're struggling with why God, why God, why? Hear what I'm about to say. Satan is targeting you at this moment. It is a critical juncture in your walk with God. And you desperately need to be alert to what's happening in your life. He wants to steal all of your joy. He wants to absolutely ruin your faith. He wants you to believe that God cannot be trusted. 
that you have believed in his promises in vain and that your situation is hopeless. And Satan was doing this to John in this moment. He was saying, John, that kingdom you were looking for, that kingdom you preached about, well, you were wrong about that. And that life of obedience to God has been a failure. Jesus is all about helping others. He hears their cries. He does things for them. Well, what has he done for you lately? Here you are sitting in prison while others are getting their dead sons risen back to life. You're wasting your time trusting him. Where's your miracle, John? Some of you are under attack right now. You still come to church. You still go through the motions of faith. But you are so crushed and you are so, so hurt. Satan comes to you regularly like he was just doing to John. And he says things to us like, you have told others that God answers prayer, that he knows what you need before you ask. Well, where are your answers? Why is God so silent? Why does everyone else seem to get their prayers answered but you? You have prayed for your kids to save, be saved. They haven't been. You've asked for God to heal your marriage. Nothing. You have prayed for sick loved ones, and they get sicker or they die. You've told others that God is faithful. Why isn't he being faithful to you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. And maybe you haven't heard it or said it that plainly. But is that you? The Bible says that you and I are in a spiritual war. And, and at this moment, God wants to do something in your life. And we're going to talk about that. But I also want to talk about what Satan is wanting to do in your life right now. Bible says that we are not to be outwitted or outsmarted by his devices or his purposes. And right now, he is at work trying to do that to you. Some of you have been so messed up by the evil one that your doubts are not just doubts anymore, but you simply don't believe God anymore. You may still come to church on Sunday. You may be a Sunday school teacher. You might be a deacon. You might be a pastor on staff. And at this point in your life, you just don't believe anymore. You say, how, how can I know that that's happened to me? How can I know I moved from just questions and doubts like John the Baptist has here, and I've, and I've moved over to this business of unbelief? How do I know that? I know that when I stop praying. When I stop praying, I don't pray about my kids anymore. I don't pray about my marriage anymore. I don't pray about these things that I've prayed about for years. I don't pray about them anymore. I stop coming to him. I stop bringing those things to him. It's no use. doesn't matter because I don't believe anymore. I don't pray anymore. This is how Satan messes up most of the Christians that I know, and he's done it for a very, very long time. You set out as a new Christian full of faith, trusting God. Maybe some neat things happen in the very beginning, but somewhere along the way, you get disappointed. You pray for something, it doesn't happen. You pray for something, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and it seems like God is too late. 
The only way to avoid the trap is to change your attitude about God's timing. I want you to look again at verse 21 and how Jesus answers John's question. He's dealing with a man who's struggling with doubt. Listen again. We've read this, but listen again now with what I've said. In that very hour, he cured. They've asked the question. In that very hour, he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then look at this. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And that last thing Jesus said is very important to, 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 to hear. For some of you today, this is a word directly from God. I know it was for me. Listen again to verse 23. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now that word offended, uh, we get the word scandal from it, but the word literally means to become entrapped. To become entrapped. Now as I thought about that last night, and figuratively it means to stumble or to be tripped up. It's passive. It's something someone's doing to you. But it means to be entrapped. Um, Last night, I was thinking, how is it going to do that? And I brought a glue trap. Now, this is a used one. I think it's up on the screen. Go ahead and bring that glue trap up. There it is. Isn't that special? And look what it says on the trap. Catch master, sticklers for quality. <laughs> you want quality in a glue trap. It catches mice. It puts them in all caps and bold. I think that's because it's appealing to a certain audience, don't you? Snakes, well, you see how big this is. It's not going to be a big snake. Crickets, here's the one I like, bats. Yeah, like they fly right headfirst into the ground. (laughs) Bats, fleas, ticks, mites, lice, roaches, brown recluse spiders as opposed to ones that aren't brown, and other potentially disease-transmitting insects, pre-baited, non-poisonous. And, of course, you can see there was an unhappy ending for some things there. Jesus said, Jesus said, John, listen to me. He said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And, and he says, don't let this happen to you because of me, John. Um, you can get into something that is just as bad for you as this glue trap was for these beetles. It can mess you up for years. I have known some people it has messed up for all their life. And so the, this, this getting entrapped is a very real phenomenon. And Jesus is saying something very important to John. And I think John heard him. I think John managed to escape it. But he's saying, don't let this happen to you. Now, is Jesus doing the entrapping? This is passive. He says, don't, don't be offended. Don't be trapped, entrapped because of me. Is Jesus doing it? No. John's question reveals that someone else is entrapping him. The enemy's tripping John up. He says, this Jesus must not be the one I was looking for. And if I got Jesus wrong, then everything else I did with my life is wrong. I have made a mistake. I told everyone he could be trusted, and I was wrong. And Jesus is saying, John, don't fall for that lie. 
because it's a lie. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. Don't fall for it. So this is how Jesus is warning us and cautioning us as to how Satan messes up Christian after Christian after Christian. I think this is probably one of the number one problems in the Christian church in North America among believers, and we just don't talk about it. What does the devil use to trap you? John wanted immediate fulfillment of the promises of God. I mean, are you the coming one or do we look for another? I mean, if you're the coming one, this stuff that I've been preaching should be happening right now. He was impatient. And real faith, real faith, this is what John was learning. It's not what happens when you pray something and God answers your prayer right away. Real faith is what happens when you pray and you wait and you wait and it doesn't happen right away. When it seems like nothing is happening. The greatest need you have as a Christian right now is to keep trusting God when he's not doing what you think he should be doing. I want to call your attention to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And uh, this will be on the screen, but if you want to turn to it in your Bible. Jesus spoke a parable to them. He said that men ought always, ought always, men always ought to pray and what? And not lose what? Lose heart. So if Jesus told us we ought always to pray and not lose heart, what does that mean can happen to you and me if I don't pray? I can lose heart. I can lose heart. If I lose heart, I'm not going to pray. If I don't pray, I lose heart. And then he says, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said with himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Now, let's go back to what the unjust judge said before I finish the scripture. What did he say? I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. What does that mean? I mean, God is not, we're not having to twist God's arm to get him to answer our prayer. That's not the point of what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching is that we should keep praying. We should not stop. We should keep it up. So what was it that got the unjust judge's attention? She didn't stop. That's what got his attention. She didn't stop. How does that translate into the spiritual realm? Well, instead of being impatient and saying, well, I tried to pray, and so he didn't answer me, and so God gets one shot, I'm done with God. Instead of doing that, we, like this woman, we keep coming. We're saying, God, please. God, here's, here's my need. Here's my burden. And it keeps coming. And by keeping on, you know what we're demonstrating? Faith. 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 You know, new Christians, I don't know if you, how many new Christians you've been around, but 
Whenever I'm around new Christians, I love hanging around them. I love giving them prayer requests because it seems like God always answers their prayer requests just like that. You ever notice that? New Christians, boy, they pray and stuff happens. I love giving prayer requests to children, Todd. Todd knows that. You get a child to pray about something, things happen. But you know what happens as you and I grow in Christ and the longer we've walked with him, the more that we trust him and rest with him. I'm not saying we don't get immediate answers to prayer ever, but I'm saying we discover some things we begin to pray about and we pray about and we pray about and we pray about and we pray a long time. Now, what is that all about? Why does God do that? Because he's, he's growing us. Jesus said, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them, and when he does it, speedily. Nevertheless, listen to this, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Is he going to find people like that lady? Is he going to find men and women that say, I've been praying for 25 years for something, but I know God wants me to keep praying for it, and I keep bringing it to him, and I am trusting God. When Jesus comes back, how many people is he going to find that pray like that? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, a lot of people can't do that. It seems a lot of people won't do that. And so God changes us as we grow in our faith. He does something differently with our faith. He stretches it. He, he puts it through tests. He puts it through the fire. He refines it. First uh, Peter says it becomes like fine gold. It's precious in the sight of God. And he lets us go through trials. He lets us go through difficulties because that faith then becomes pure. It becomes proven. We're not trusting in anything else. We keep coming back and trusting God again and again and again. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, the only reason you and I don't trust him like that is because we have lazy faith. In Hebrews 6, verse 12, he says, that you do not become sluggish. That means lazy. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, listen to this, this is Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Patience. Enduring patience. I'm going to trust you, Lord, no matter what. And I'm going to keep bringing my needs to you. I'm going to keep bringing my burdens to you. I'm going to keep trusting you. Because it doesn't happen right away, I'm not going to look for another Jesus. I'm going to trust him. God's doing something in you when your faith is tested. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he says it this way. My brethren, count it all joy. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed is he. You're not offended because of me. Blessed. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, not because you'd like trouble. He said, but knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, so when, when Jesus says in verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me, what is he saying to John? What is he saying? John, I know I am not doing the things you expected me to do. 
And because of me, you're about to be entrapped. I know you're struggling with doubt and hurt, but you can be blessed. There is a way, but not by holding on to your expectations. You have to let them go. Stop looking for another Jesus. Trust me to be me, to be exactly what you need in every moment of your life. Believe me that I have never left you alone, that I am there with you right now, and your joy will come back to you. You feel like God has let you down? Feel like he's abandoned you, that you called out to him, that he didn't listen? Are you doubting his love, his concern, maybe even his existence? If a great man like John can begin to doubt God, so can you. And I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. He has never left your side. Trust him. Trust him.